0: Greetings, and welcome to Visibility, with your host, Dr. Donna Maria Culbreth. You may call us to share your thoughts, pose a question, or (coughs) to give a general comment by dialing area code 323-642-1562. And now, Dr. Culbreth. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to Visibility for today, which is Monday, I believe the 26th of March, 2018. And yes, it's an off-date show, but I wanted to do this special episode today, as before we've launched the Dynamics and Complexities of Colorism uh, Talk Radio miniseries. And before we even do that, what I wanted to do was just take a trip back down memory lane with my work in colorism, how, and share with those of you who do not know how we started and how we ended up where we are today. Um, It's just going to be a little interesting night. We have a great. Episodes coming up under the series, which I think are so important. What I tried to do was to identify the most prominent or the key issues in which colorism is such a, you know, and there was a need rather to talk about colorism in these particular uh, episodes that we'll have. So, what I'm going to do is let me give you the format for tonight. I'm going to go through, introduce you guys to the mini series, and Go over about the Colorism Project, um, the former Dynamics of Colorism Talk Radio show that I launched in 2012. Talk about the Journal of Colorism Studies and how my work in colorism led me to where I am today. Um, Issues with um, academia. And um, we're just going to take it on. I do hope you guys can hear me loud and clear. Let me double check my mic. I hope I'm loud and clear. I think I am. Okay. So, having said that, let's get started and let's make this a interesting show. So, here's a historical perspective. For those of you who know me, I actually started all of my work in colorism when I finished my dissertation back in 2006. And my dissertation focused on Employment, well, let me give you the title of it. It was Employment Discrimination. And I basically went in and focused in on colorism in the workplace to see if colorism did actually exist. So it was interesting. So let me give you the title of my dissertation. It was Employment Discrimination in the 21st Century, an Empirical Investigation of the Presence of Interracial Colorism Discrimination among black Americans in the workplace. It was a phenomenal piece of work. It was exciting to do. And I truly enjoyed the research. What I found so interesting about it was that I was able to create a skin color chart. I paved my own path um, and put together like a really awesome study had a lot of people participate in it, a lot of help, you know getting the word out to take the survey and the survey was so very unique that because i I actually developed a skin color chart and that skin color chart I later revised and and labeled it identified it rather as the people of color skin color identifying chart and it was the first time that anyone had used a skin color chart of this magnitude in a study examining colorism in the workplace. So I've had a wonderful journey. I really have. So tonight, when we decided to do this series last year, um, I think it was in December, we decided to do the colorism series. It was exciting for me because it was a chance to go back down memory lane and go over everything, you know, look at all of my work and everything I completed over the years. So when, when we decided to launch Disability and we decided to do this series, I was a little apprehensive in the beginning. And I think it was because I didn't want to recreate or, or go over and do again what I'd done years ago. If any of you are familiar, if you actually go to The Colorism Projects website, you'll see there in the talk radio where from 2012, November 1st, 2012, I launched the Dynamics of Colorism Talk Radio. And it was a bold move because at that time, you know, who's going to develop or create a talk radio show that focused only on colorism? But it was needed. We had some really dynamic, dynamic guests on the show. We had some good conversations. We talked about, you know, the interracial, interracial colorism, skin bleaching. We talked about colorism and relationships with men, women, with Asians, Latinos, Brazilians, and education and administration. We even had shows on that focused in on how colorism was affecting young people like children of color. So it indeed was an interesting um little journey so when i when I say that I was apprehensive i mean it from a standpoint that, like I said, you don't want to recreate something you've done. So what I did this for this particular mini series, the dynamics and Complexities of colorism, I decided to focus in on areas that are so pressing today in the millennium. However, with a twist to it, these six episodes are going to explore the psychological, emotional, physical, and social traumas of colorism as they relate to the victims with an emphasis on how to fix their self-esteem, their self-love identity, their pride and self-respect. And I and I decided in the end because you guys know Dr. C, I added a twist to it. And that twist is looking not just at victims and how victims are traumatized by colorism, but also a twist at looking at why perpetrators commit acts of colorism. And if you've noticed over the years there's been a um a great amount, no, a great deal of research conducted on colorism mm-hmm. and over the years, which I've noticed and maybe I have to brush up on some other looks some other research, it's very rare that you hear anyone looking at the perpetrators and why they do it, what causes them to Think that it's okay to treat someone disparately because of the color of their skin. Or, you know, when we start talking about the colorism complex, when you go in the other phenotypes, we're looking at hair, we're looking at eye color, the eyes, the nose, lips, the whole kit and caboodle. So I decided to throw that twist in to add some flavor to the episodes. And in doing so, I found it so intriguing and interesting that I'm looking at it in this light. So for me, this series is a uh, reminder, a marker. It helps me to look back. I've been working on my book on colorism for God knows how long, and I'll explain to you. i hold up with that in a minute. But this journey has set me on a path and helped me rather pave a path in which I found my true passion. So that's great, and I'll talk more about that later. So let's go back down memory lane a little bit more with the Colorism Project, and then we'll get into the Dynamics and Complexities of Colorism series. What prompted this, well, the, the, the project rather, was when I finished my dissertation 20, 2006. And um, prior to that time, what made me get into colorism was because I was a consultant, and I started handling cases. Everyone, where I was actually investigating acts, um, cases involving intra colorism. That's when it's within the same race, black on black colorism in the work environment. And what it made it what made it so interesting is that. The bulk of the organizations where I conducted, you know, the investigations, so I went in as a consultant to coach and, and get them in, in alignment with what they needed to be doing, many of the employers were, were totally taken back. They were baffled. They were in shock because they could not embrace or they did not believe, rather, that it was actually possible for people belonging to the same racial category to treat each other differently, give favorable treatment, treat each other disparately based on the color of their skin, the texture of their hair, you know, the eyes, you know, so on and so on. So they were baffled. And their minds, they were like, oh, this is a bunch of you-know-what, it doesn't exist. It's just no way that two people, two black people, and I'm just going to give that as an example. There's no way that two black people are going to be nasty or mean or rude or disrespectful to each other because one is dark complexioned, one is medium complexioned, and or one is light complexioned. Well, listeners, I'm here to tell you it happened in living color. So my job when I was working as a consultant, and prior to that time, I was a law clerk. And it's funny how your passion and your destinies just twist your little career plans all around. And as they always say, if you, you want to see God laugh, just go ahead and make your own plans because my whole focus in where I was going to totally changed. And once I started seeing the colorism of issues, now remember, I was already in the law and the legal background. So when I was working as a law clerk, we had a particular case, and this was when I was in Maryland. And I'll never forget this. Um, the attorney I worked for came in to me one day, and he started telling me about a colorism issue. And he said, that's the damnedest thing. Can you believe it? And I'll, I'll never forget. And I said, no, it's real. It happens. Don't stand there and say that it doesn't exist because you've never experienced it or you've never heard about it. But there's case law out there that does talk about people treating each other differently, especially in the work environment based on skin color. And one of the most prominent cases and and let me see if I can recall it, Walker versus Secretary of the Treasury. That was one of the most um, important cases with colorism. So if you ever get a chance, it's on the internet, look it up. And in my book, in the legal area, I talk about colorism. So here I am. I'm a law clerk. I basically did a lot of research. I'm um, writing briefs. I was writing memorandums of law, dealing with clients, um, handling discovery, motion, you name it. I was doing it, enjoying myself until we started seeing more cases coming in on colorism. And then it wasn't labeled as colors, and they were just referring to it as, you know, here's a case where a black guy treated another black guy really bad because he said he's so dark, or this guy doesn't like this guy because he said he's light, and he's, you know, A, B, C, or D. And the most amazing thing, gang, was to see the reaction, and when I tell you to see the reaction of of white Americans and even Latinos and Asians and others, wow. Are you kidding me? And so I started handling this one particular case. Then I handled another case. And then when I was working at the Commission on Human Relations, there was another case involving – colorism was involved, but it was interracial colorism. That is when colorism occurs with people who are outside, who are not within the same racial group. So in other words, black versus white. Latino versus Asian Indian versus black and I'll give you the definitions of colorism as we move along but while the employers were baffled and troubled by it I was intrigued because I knew that this was an issue and here was the biggest problem guys the law was there Now, remember, Title VII and the EEOC protect, you know, employees when it comes to color as well, you know, race, color, and all the other areas. But for the employers and the human resource individual uh, workers or directors, they were not used to this. They didn't understand what the heck colorism really meant. They were totally clueless as to why it existed, how it existed, what it meant. There were some who also weren't even aware that it was a violation of Title VII. So this is where I became an expert in the Title VII and color discrimination. I was able to take, because I remember I was consulting also, I was able to take my background in the legal field from being a law clerk. And prior to being a law clerk, I had worked uh, all all my young adult life in the legal field as senior litigation paralegal on both sides of the fence. So I have a legal background and even I've handled cases, something a death, a, a death, uh, handle death cases to aviation law to personal injury, to employment, to workers comp um, to corporate. So my background, I took it and I merged it with the human resources with the consulting aspect of it. And I was an expert in the employee relations arena where, you know, company policies, investigations, and worked in a VP position, handing all of this. And here's the most exciting thing, guys. Every doggone way I turned, it seemed that there were so many colorism cases coming up in the work environment and the employers didn't know what in the world they were going to do. And this is where I was able to walk in a corner of the market and make my marker and use my expertise. I took my legal background, my ability to conduct, conduct legal research, interview, conduct investigations, write memorandums of law, office memorandums, legal briefs, motions. And to this day, I still do legal research and write some briefs and motions for friends of mine. But it was exciting for me. Because I merged the two together. I knew human resources from the employee relations perspective. I was an expert with Title VII, and then here came colorism. So for me, when I decided to do my study, my PhD, my dissertation on colorism, my committee flipped out. They were like, is she out of her mind? There's just no way that... You're going to do it. They're not going to accept it. They're not going to like it. It's something that'll roadblock you. And I'm like, well, it's going to be what it's going to be because this is my passion. So, with me working in the field as a consultant, traveling all around, (coughs) excuse me, I was able to complete my doctorate degree, my dissertation in the field that I wanted to complete it in. I knew what I was doing. I did not want to go into sociology. I did not want to go into psychology. I wanted to be able to be an expert in this particular area in the work environment. That was my focus. I had the heavy business and legal background. So when I mixed everything together, voila. So the dissertation was researched. It was written. Passed through that stage, once I finished the Ph.D., Well, during the process of completing the Ph.D., I fell in love with teaching because I was teaching constitutional law classes. And in that process, I was able to – it was easy for me to walk in and teach law classes without any issues. started having conversations with my students, and we always somehow ended up talking about colorism. When we ended up talking about case, cases regarding Title VII and other legal course, and other legal courses, and we discovered this, and I might introduce the students to colorism and the issues involving colorism on and on, my passion just exploded. Then my students started sharing with me their horror stories involving colorism. Children to adults to schools to education to the workplace to even, even renting to neighbors to dating, marrying it was you know mind blowing. So, there began my interest in pursuing colorism. So, in 2009, after muddling around and working and consulting, I launched the colorism project. I it was 2009, I don't remember the date, but 2006, can't remember. I launched the Colorism Project, and there's a website that has 30, what, 30-page 30 website, on, which consists of everything on colorism, which I haven't updated in a while and needs to be updated. And um, I started that because it was a need to do it. So I started working on the project, started writing my book, started interviewing young women, men, um, everyone I could probably think of who you know, I included in my research agenda. Of the stories that I heard about colorism, how, you know, it was like airing dirty laundry, if you talked about it, it was brushed under the rug. You don't talk about it. If somebody was aware that there was a colorism issue, even in the work environment, in the family, among friends, it was just, that's it, and it's over with. You just had to accept it. That is how it was. And, but in talking to all of these individuals, What I took away from every interview, every conversation, every dialogue, every moment that I spent with others talking about colorism was the fact that these people were traumatized. They were victims and they were severely traumatized. They did not understand colorism. They could not fathom or wrap their minds around how this was occurring or why. You know, we went through historical perspectives. We talked about history why colorism exists. We talked about slavery, um, reconstruction, Jim Crow, through the Civil Rights era, through the millennium. You know, we'd have a discussion. So I had notes, guys, as thick as like three or four dictionaries worth of notes to be transcribed. Because I wasn't really bright when I was doing this, I guess, because I wrote everything on legal pads. And some were on recordings, too. In 2011, I had a sewage back up in my home, lost everything. And I was devastated. My world crumbled like a old, deteriorating, worn-down brick. It just crumbled. Because years of research and interviews and dialogue and tapes, everything, it was just lost like in a, in a snap of a finger. So I was crushed. And I was also ticked off. And my, my mind could saying, what the heck am I going to do? I've lost all my research. I have nothing. It also taught me, guys, to type my notes up. And I'm not cool with typing. It taught me to type things up and transcribe and take recordings and put them up high and put them in sealed uh, fireproof cabinets and everything. I learned a valuable lesson, which I should have known better anyway. So, But then here's the good thing about it. I talked to my sister about it, and I was really devastated. talked to my mom, and they were like, it's no big thing. You just regroup, and you come out. You start over. And I'm like, no, I had like three or four years worth of research notes. You can never get that back. But I did. I regrouped. came back out. And this time, I was bigger and better than I was, you know, the first go-round, mainly because I was able, you know, to remember a lot of the stuff, but in having new dialogues and conversations with especially girls and women, because that was my focus at that point, to look at how colorism affected black girls and black women, you know, from young children all the way up to adults to see, and I mean, all the way to seniors. And that led me to all my other projects that led me to to start the uh, I Am Beautiful Global And that was a nonprofit that I started focusing on girls of color, teaching them to love themselves, to love the color of their skin, their hair, the way their noses are shaped, to truly love themselves. I developed I Am Beautiful Global. If you get a chance, look at the website. It's now the Girls and Teen Division of National Girls and Women of Color Council. From there, it led me to develop the National Girls and Women of Color Council because in continued conversations, with women, young women, seniors, teens, preteens, I discovered that there were so many women of color whose self-esteem, whose belief in themselves, who, whose uh, focus in life was basically shot to hell because somebody somewhere had victimized them through acts of colorism. And I realized at that point in time, okay, you know what? I love my colorism thing, but NGWCC and I Am Beautiful Global became my, my, my top priorities because something had to be done to address the magnitude of the issues that they were dealing with. Their voices were not heard, of course. We all know that. We know about the visibility, we know what we saw in the media and on television and in film and in the music industry. We knew what we saw in the class. We heard, rather, stories of what occurred in the classroom. But the icebreaker for me was a situation I told you the co-worker told me about the little girl who was sitting in a corner and kept scratching her leg. So she approached her and asked her, you know, is there something wrong? Why are you scratching your leg? Does it itch? The little girl said, no, it doesn't itch. Well, do you want some lotion to put on your leg? No, I don't want any lotion. So then she said to the little girl, asked the lotion, came back to her again and said, why do you keep scratching your leg if it's not itchy? And the little girl, who's a very dark complexion little girl, said, because when I scratch it, it looks white. It doesn't look black. For me, guys, that was it. That That was the breaking point for me where I knew that I had to address, you know, the self-esteem and the well-being, the psychological, emotional, physical, and social well-being and, and growth of the girls and women of color because there was too much trauma going on. When you see a little girl at the know, she was seven or eight, I don't remember her age, but to hear stories like that and to see that no one was saying to this little girl, you are beautiful. Two stories where uh, another young lady's mother would tell her she was too dark, that she couldn't wear pearls, that she couldn't wear certain colors because her skin was just too, quote, damn dark, end quote. Now, for me, this is what opened up my focus more into looking at girls and women of color issues and that's where I'm at today. Now I still do colorism. I'm still working on my book. It's not as thick as three dictionaries, but I'm examining the complexities of colorism in my book. And I leave a kind on the DL and I would love to talk about some of the of the work that I'm doing on the air. But as a good friend of mine said, you have to stay keep things on the DL until the plane is in the air. So that's what I'm doing. Once that plane is in the air, once that book is ready and out to be published and be dropped within a month or two, then I'll start talking about it more. But the point I wanted to make is that there's been so much research on colorism. Dr. Elizabeth Hodge Freeman, who was a guest on the show back in 2013, I think it was in May, is going to be one of our guests. And she studies colorism in Brazil. And she's phenomenal. She's like, to me, she's like the queen of the colorism research. Because she writes about it with so much passion. She focuses in on the issues. And you guys have to really tune in this Wednesday when she's a guest. Because we're going to talk about colorism in Brazil. And you would be amazed at... Some of the the issues that still exist, from whether it's pinching a baby's nose to keep it from being bored, to treating the lighter complexion children in the family better than a darker complexion, to gauging them by their hair. And I've been reading her book from the points in there where you've noticed where well, I've noted where family members will help take care of the darker complexion members of the family, the ones who look black. But once they're out in public, how they won't associate with them because of their black um, skin or their appearance of looking black. And her book is really a great book, and she'll be our guest on Wednesday. But we've lined up guests. Dr. Yaba Blay will be a guest, and I'm gonna let me stop right now because I'm getting out of I'm getting ahead of myself. But when Dr. Horace Freeman was a guest on the show we have what was titled The Dynamics of Colorism Talk Radio. And we did so many series and episodes. And they're on Complexity Talk Radio's website. You can go there and click them, click the links, and you can listen to the shows, the actual shows, back from 2012. So one of the reasons why I am not going back over the historical perspectives of interracial interracial colorism or skin bleaching or passing or colorism in education is because we've already hosted those shows and the archives are available. And I will repost them all on on, um, the the Facebook page for Complexity Talk Radio. And you can go back and listen to the archives. I'll start with the first show on colorism. So we've covered a great deal of material explaining what colorism is, where it came from, why it exists, how it's affected, you know, not just black Americans, because colorism occurs in all groups. It's more prevalent when you start looking at black Americans and we've suffered, I would say the most damage psychologically, emotionally, physically, and socially, you know, (laughs) For, since we can probably remember being in this country. so it's something that it's ugly it's not something that should be taken lightly or laughed about or joked about there are a lot of misconceptions as to what colorism is how it is defined there are misconceptions where people think you can jump from saying okay colorism go heal." no no This is a process. There have been instances, and I remember years ago, where you would hear disc jockeys on the radio talking about the light-skinned family members and the dark-skinned family members at Thanksgiving, how they would act. There were actual notices, and I had these, and I think they're in my file, and they're part of my book, where they would have parties where light-skinned girls could get in for free. Dark-skinned girls had to pay a fee. They had parties where they used the brown paper bag. And I'll talk about the, the test in a minute, about the colorism test. In a minute, um, where they used a the brown paper bag to let people come in to get an entrance into the party or to leave. I mean, to enter the party. And I just think that was just ridiculous. It wasn't funny. Many thought that it was funny, and maybe in in their humor, in their way, that was their humor. But colorism hurts. It really does hurt. It's detrimental. It causes psychological, emotional, physical, and social issues. First, before I even get into talking about those issues, let me give you the clear definition of colorism. And when I wrap this up, I'll go over the show for you guys. So here it is. And this is directly from the Colorism Project's website. Colorism defined. Colorism involves distinctions based on skin color. And that could be the light, medium, or dark. And it results in the favorable or unfavorable, and I like to use the term disparate treatment of individuals based on the lightness or the darkness of their skin color. It has a foundation that is deeply rooted in white superiority, White supremacy, white privilege, racism, prejudice, and stereotypes. Colorism is complex in nature, and it occurs interracially and interracially. On top of that, it's detrimental to the psychological well-being of victims. Now, interracial, that's I-N-T-E-R-R-A-C-I-A-L, colorism involves a member of one racial group, making a distinction based on the skin color of members belonging to a different racial group. So, for example, you can have in this situation white versus black. Well, you may have a white person who look at two black Americans. One person can be very dark complexion. The other could be very fair. And if they treat that lighter complexion black American better then they do the darker complexion solely because of that skin color. They're making that distinction. That's colorism. And I've seen, before I even go further, far get any further, I've seen so many Twitter posts. I've seen so many Facebook. I've seen blogs. I've just seen comments where people don't have a clue in to tell what colorism is. And you have to remember it's that distinction based on skin color. And because of that distinction, either favorable or unfavorable, and I like to say disparate treatment, is afforded you know, to the individual. So, for example, let me give you an example of colorism, intra-racial colorism among two black Americans. Let's say you have a very dark complexion black woman and a very light complexioned black woman. And let's say I'm a medium complexion black woman. If I, in the work, let's just say, let's use this example in the work environment. If I treat the lighter complexion woman better than I do the darker complexion woman, I afford her favorable treatment. I allow her to come in late. I don't mark her absent when she's absent. I don't get on her about lunch, being late, coming back from lunch. Poor performance. I let her slide. I'm giving her favorable treatment preferential rather, treatment, let's use the term preferential. However, with a darker complexion woman, let's just say I don't like dark complexion people. So if I don't like dark complexion people, I start taking this darker complexion woman and I start treating her disparately, unfavorable, not giving her preferential treatment. And I mark her every time she's late. If she comes back from lunch a minute late, I'm marking her down, giving her notices. I criticize her work performance. Her work performance is below standards. I stay on top of her. I write her up. I am treating her disparately because she has dark skin. So this is what we have to remember. It is when we start looking at the favorable or unfavorable treatment of the individual based on the color of their skin. So it's the distinction and then the treatment based on the color of that skin. So when we start looking at intra-racial colorism, that involves a member of one group, one racial group, making a distinction based on the skin color of members belonging to the same racial group. For example, black on black, Asian on Asian, Indian on Indian. This form, when it's intra-racial colorism, it is so much more complex. Than interracial colorism, you know, and it also, you know, results in a preferential treatment. But it's more complex because we have associated with that the colorism complex. There's so many other complexities involved, which I discuss in great detail in my book. And historically, people of color have been victims of interracial and intra racial colorism. Remember that preferential, prejudicial, and a disparate treatment. Because someone is dark complexion or someone is light. And it is not, and and here's another misconception about colorism. Colorism is not only involving preferential treatment to lighter complexion people. While that does happen probably more often, that does not mean that a person possessing medium skin tone does not go through issues, too. Colorism doesn't look and say, well, it's only light and dark. Colorism is light. Colorism involves light, medium, and dark complexion. You can have a medium complexion woman experience colorism as opposed to her with a lighter complexion woman. It could be one to two shades darker. Colorism can and has occurred. You can have a medium complexion person who just does not like light-complexion people. And for whatever reason, that medium-complexion individual will start treating lighter-complexion people disparately in an unfavorable way. But at the same time, that medium-complexion person can like dark-complexion people. So she will treat the darker-complexion person favorably and the lighter-complexion person, you know, without the favor. So that's how colorism works. It's not just a slight dark thing. In colorism, you can have a darker complexion person treating a lighter complexion person great and the medium complexion bad. You can have them treating the medium complexion person better than they would treat the lighter complexion or vice versa. So it's important to understand when we start talking about colorism to understand what it is. To understand that it involves a distinction based on skin color, and it results in the favorable or unfavorable treatment. What we're going to talk about when we go through the mini-series, we're going to also talk about what about when you have situations where someone just has a preference. Well, I could say to you, guys, I love dark-skinned men. I think they're hot. I think they're gorgeous. I think they're only guy I would ever look at has to have a dark skin. Here's my question, food for thought, for all of you to think about. And we're going to have a show, I think it's April 18th, on colorism and relationships. Is that just my preference? That I just happen to be attracted to dark complexion men? If I look at like Michael Jordan, and I can say to you, wow, he gives me fever. Is it my preference for darker complexion skin, dark complexion men to date them? Or is it a colorism issue? And this is where you have to learn the difference between a preference and when it's really a colorism issue. We'll talk about that in great detail on the show on colorism and relationships. Keep that in mind and think about it. It goes the same way with lighter complexion. Have you ever heard some people say, I only want to date a light-skinned person? Is it preference for the light skin just because it's just, that's what I like, that's what somebody likes? Or is it colorism? That is what you have to, I want you guys to think about as we move along through this mini-series on colorism. When you see little children playing, and one little girl, little light skin girl, says to the little dark-skinned girl, move your black so-and-so over there. Or you're so such-and-such such a color. What is that? Or I don't want to be friends with him or her because her skin is light or her skin is dark or her skin is a medium complexion. What is it? As we go through this mini-series, we're going to focus in on all of these little issues. And I guess we'll talk about the colorism with children and in preferences for dating and in the work environment. And I can tell you this, colorism is an ugly monster. It can destroy. And one of the other issues we are going to talk about when we talk about girls and colorism is the validation issue where there is this dog's belief that for a time period, there were issues where they were making girls believe that they had to be validated because of their skin color, because of It's all a bunch of a crock of, you know what? You don't need to be validated by anyone for any reason. You validate yourself. So we're going to talk about that validation thing with girls and women of color, because I thought that was just so, and even if it's, even if we're not talking about colorism, I believe that the woman who can validate herself, there was a saying and I cannot remember the woman who said this. It was, she was international years ago and said the woman who does not need to be validated by anyone is the most feared person in this earth. It was something like that. It was a quote and I'll find it before we do the show on girls and women of colorism, but she was right um, because you don't need anyone to validate you. And we start talking about colorism issues We're going to go through all of this. When you get a chance, go to the archives and listen to the archives of the dynamics of colorism. And I'll start posting the links on our Facebook account and um, on our Twitter feed and our blog. So you can go back and update yourself and review colorism before we get deep into it. Throughout this long process of my journey into colorism and my um, finding my passion and using my unique calling to focus in on girls and women of color, I started the Journal of Colorism Studies. I think this was like 2014, I can't remember the year 2013. I started the Journal of Colorism Studies because I was having conversations with so many uh, people in academia and they were telling me that there were not any, that first, let me back it up a minute. They were saying to me in dialogue, conversations, that The other journals out there, mainly the white journals, would not or were not publishing their content on colorism. And if they did publish it, they had to water it down until it would lose its meaning and its focus. And I'm saying, no, we need to be talking about colorism. So I started the Journal of Colorism Studies. And that is the official journal of the Colorism Project. We've had, well, I think, one, two, three publications because I'm so busy. But our next issue of Journal of Colorism Studies, the next volume, will be coming out March 30th at the end of this week. It'll be published the 30th or the 1st, I don't remember. And um, then we have another issue coming out, another volume coming out, issue rather. So with the Journal of Colorism Studies, I have a really good um Assistant editor, editor Miss Carla Patton, who joined us as the assistant editor. So we will be able to really fly with the Journal of Colorism Studies because we will have a good team in place now. But we started Journal of Colorism Studies. Those same black professors and scholars who told me that they were concerned because their work couldn't get their work published and these other journals never, ever Public, said, submitted anything to the Journal of Colorism Studies not one thing so I saw I tried to reach out to the, to the people who were prominent in the, in the field who were um, in colorism doing their research and the only ones who were receptive and responded to me positively were, were doctor, the authors of the book The Color Complex Dr. Ron Hall And Dr. Midge Wilson, the only two people in academia who responded positively. And they were both guests on the Dynamics of Colorism Talk Radio. Dr. Ron Hall was a guest when we talked about colorism and skin bleaching. And Dr. Midge Wilson, I believe she was a guest when we talked about colorism I think we talked about the color complex using her book as a guide. So it's been a journey. It's been interesting to see how the blacks in academia did not support, would not support the Colorism Project. They would not support the Journal of Colorism Studies. And I found that interesting. And also Dr. Audrey Alyssa Kerr, who wrote the book, um, The Paper Bag Principle, she was very supportive of the Colorism Project, and she was also a guest on, I believe, the Dynamics of Colorism Talk Radio. So those three individuals who were known for their research in colorism were supportive. The other blacks would not. It didn't bother me because I said, I'm going to keep moving on. So we did that. Then when we decided to take the issues of colorism and merge them in with what we're doing now with NGWCC, the National Girls and Women of Color Council, and my other projects, Um, we are still discussing and working with colorism within everything. So the curriculum and our programs that we're getting ready to roll out include that colorism piece in there. So don't worry, I didn't just kick colorism to the curb. It's just that I found a way to merge it in to the programs and what we're doing so at the same time we're moving in in a positive direction but we're still including a focus on discussing and helping people deal with being fake like colorism as well as those who are portrayers of colorism because to me their story is just is maybe not as important as the victims because they've suffered detriment detrimental effects of colorism but the perpetrators' stories are also important. A lot of people don't want to admit that they're perpetrating colorism, that they're actually committing acts of colorism. But I think that, that is, as the old saying goes, everybody has a story to tell. And why does someone commit acts of colorism? Especially an unsuspecting or innocent person for no reason. There's some deep-rooted um, issues that perpetrators are experiencing, whether it is a superiority, complex issue, or inferiority, or whatever, maybe you just wanna be nasty, hateful, or just mean spirit, could be jealousy. You never know. So I think it's important that as we go through the series that we talk about these issues. We're also gonna review the case law on colorism because there have been several EEOC cases and regular superior court cases Involving colorism. Colorism in the workplace, and let me stop because I'm getting into myself again with that. But when we start looking at the mini series, now I'm ready to go in and tell you more about the mini series. So here we go. The mini series, the dynamics and complexities of colorism. It starts as you know tonight with me doing this little introduction to it. And it's going to end April twenty sixth. It's, it is a six-episode so, six miniseries, and it's going to focus. It's being aired here on Visibility Live, and it's going to focus on the psychological, emotional, physical, and social traumas of colorism with that emphasis on how colorism really affects the self-esteem, love, um, identity, self-respect, and pride of girls and women of color. Now, topics are going to include include, in addition to the ones I mentioned earlier, Um, we talked about the workplace, superiority, inferiority, the colorism complex, skin color complexes, education, colorism in Brazil, the effects of colorism on children, girls and women of color, as well as families. When you guys listen to Dr. George Freeman tomorrow night talk about the colorism issues in Brazil, you'll really be able to see the bigger picture of how detrimental colorism can be. We will talk about understanding um, the detrimental effects of colorism here at Stateside, learning to embrace the differences, the myths we've all heard about colorism, health care issues, among other relevant topics. So what we've planned is really interesting series. On Wednesday, March 28th, my good friend, colleague, Dr. Elizabeth Horch Freeman, who is the author of The Color of Love, it's a wonderful book, focuses on colorism in Brazil. I love her work. I have read a great deal of the books that are out there on colorism. And her book, by far, I would give the score of a 10 plus over all the books that I've read. She covers all of the key areas, topics, and issues. The book is easy um, for everyone to read. She is so, uh, the topics that are covered are so relevant, important, and how she presents it will just blow you away. So I know you can't wait to hear that episode with Dr. Hoyt Freeman on April 4th, 2018. That episode is going to focus on the colorism in film, music, and media, and our guest will be the Dr. Yaba Blay, who's also done phenomenal work here in the field. And with her, she did earlier. So Dr. Yaba Blay will be our guest on April 4th. On April 11th, we'll be talking about colorism in the workplace, and you guys know that's my specialty. So if I don't wing that one solo, um, my guest should be Dr. Nyambi Powell, who recently completed her work on colorism in the work environment. and with a different perspective of how she looked at it. So that's going to be interesting. Then we have on April 18th, colorism and relationships. And our guest for that episode will be Dr. Cassandra Cheney, who wrote this really interesting article on colorism and relationships in a marriage, and it was titled His and Her Perspective, so her article, we're going to discuss that, and I also invited Ms. Christian Collins-Jackson, who wrote this really interesting article um, on colorism and women. She will be our guest on April 26th with Dr. Horge Freeman and other guests to talk about colorism and how it affects girls and women of color. Now, the episode, April 26th, that is a Thursday, that Wednesday, the 25th, we're having an episode, um, episode focusing on dementia in black communities, and that was pre-scheduled before the colorism series, so we're just going to move colorism over one day. But the, the whole focus here and the goal of this series is to get people talking again. To put it in your face Put the colors in your face And say talk about it Can you keep the noise down? I hope that didn't come through But I'm getting too much background noise Here So everybody That's that's what we're going to be doing this week Excuse me, with the mini series focusing on colorism. I do hope you tune in to learn more about colorism, what it really is, what it really is not. Focus in on the issues that we will be discussing. And when we actually have the mini series going on, we will have the listener lines open this week. You guys norm- know, normally I do not have the listener lines open. And I, when I say that they're going to be opened, that means that you'll be able to call to the show to post questions, to comment. If you have an experience with colorism that you would like to share, whether it's with family, friends, the work environment, feel free to do so. The listener line will be open for each episode. Of the dynamics and complexities of colors in mini series. That listener line number I will read at the beginning and the middle of each show. And I'm also thinking about opening up a segment where I can have the lines totally open. We'll just take listener calls like maybe a few minutes during the episode. That number is area code 323 642 1562. We welcome your calls during the dynamic. Dynamics and complexities of colorism mini-series. I hope that this little information bit that I just gave you will help you guys a great deal. You learn more, hopefully, you've learned more about me and my history with working with colorism. And yes, I am still working with colorism. I've just merged it in with my other projects so that we can cover what needs to be covered. And my book on colorism will be coming out, the Journal of Colorism Studies. We'll publish the next volume, an issue, at the end of this month or the first. And I believe the next volume, the next issue of the Journal of Colorism Studies is either coming out in, I believe it is May, May or June. It's one of the two, but it's, it'll be out before the end, before this end of the summer. So we're excited about that. A reminder to everyone: the call for submissions. For Our Voices, Our Stories, the anthology closes May 31st. And as I said it before, and I will say it again, whatever we close, whatever the call closes with, regardless of the number of submissions that we receive, the anthology will be published. So many people submitted such outstanding, excellent work. If I have to call and put in a call and say that we will accept more than three submissions from individuals, then I will do that. But by hook or crook, come hella high water, the anthology will be published this, you know, at the end, once the call closes and all the reviews are completed and finalized. Speaking of which, yours truly tried to design the cover for the anthology, our voices, our stories, and it was shot down and nobody liked it. They said it was ugly. They were honest, brutally honest, trust me. So I'm looking And I'm going to watch this out, that I'm looking for an artist to design the cover for anthology, our voices, our stories. I want it to be something that speaks the truth of colorism, of what it is. And at the same time, show the traumas of colorism. You know me, I'm a little weird, but that's what I wanted to do. So I'm going to put out a call for an artist. Excuse me, to to create our cover, the book jacket rather, for the anthology. Having said that, you guys, I don't think I have anything else to say tonight. I've covered all the key areas. Just wanted to throw in that I'm looking forward to you guys tuning in for the dynamics and complexities of Colors and Mini Series. Remember, you can go to the Colors and uh, I'm sorry, Complexity Talk Radio. Website And I even think you can go to Hold on I am on the Colorism Project site right now And you can go there And look at some of the old episodes that are there Some have links Some don't But we had some pretty good shows When all the way through the 2014 On Colorism So feel free to go look at the archive, you can find them at the Block Talk Radio site for Complexity Talk Radio. It was formerly The Dynamics of Colorism. You may also access the archive if you go to, I believe, Complexity Talk Radio site. And, of course, the thecolorismproject.com. So, gang, thank you guys for tuning in tonight. I'm looking forward to the shows this week. Join us this Wednesday night. And the episode is titled The Color of Love. It's a focus on colorism in Afro-Brazilian families. So thanks, guys, for tuning in. Have a great week. Looking forward to you tuning in. This is Dr. Kulpris, and I'm signing off for Visibility. Good night, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Visibility with your host, Dr. Donna Maria Kulpris. You may contact us at 866 829 We're looking forward to you tuning in next Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next week, remember to define yourself for yourself, dare to be different, and dream in color. This is Dr. Gullbert signing off for Visibility. Good night.